Amen. Aren't you glad you're here today? Amen. Fantastic. Your Bible's open to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation. We, we're going to be spending several weeks talking about the, the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but I want to talk to you, first of all, as we begin the month of December, I want to talk to you about where Jesus is right now in what Jesus is doing right now when the Bible says that He ascended and sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. We know that, we know that Christ is reigning. He rules. Uh, we know the Bible says that God has given Christ all authority. Uh, when you read the book of Hebrews, it tells us because Christ gave Himself and became a substitutionary death, that God exalted Him above every name and has given Him authority over all. So we know that He's reigning as King of kings and Lord of lords. We know that Christ is going to return. Uh, during the Advent portion, of the, they talked about that, that we anticipate the Lord Jesus' return. Uh, we believe in the, the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. We believe there's going to be a rapture and and we call the imminency of the return of Christ as imminent, which that word means at any moment Christ could come for His bride. And as John 14 talks about, uh, let not your hearts be troubled. Uh, I go to prepare a place, and if I go and prepare a place as your bridegroom, I will come again and receive you unto myself. We believe that. So we know that Christ reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, obviously He doesn't, he reigns in the hearts of men. Now, He doesn't reign on the earth yet, but we believe the Bible literally says, because it says this six times in a few verses, that He will return to this earth and reign. For how long? For a thousand years. He will reign, the Bible says, for a thousand years. It says that six times in three verses. So how long is Jesus going to reign on this earth? For a thousand years. So we know He reigns, we know He's going to return. But what is Jesus doing right now? I want to read Revelation chapter 1. I want to read the whole chapter because there is a blessing, but it also tells us what Jesus is doing right now. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave Him to show to His servants the things that must soon take place, He made it known by sending His angel to His servant John. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to give you all the history, but you know, He's on the island of Patmos, which is off the coast of Asia Minor, uh, 40 or 50 miles and Obviously, I've never been to the island of Patmos. I, I read scholars who have, and they say it's a, a, a rock, a really just a huge rock uh, jetting out of the water, and it's about five miles wide and ten, ten miles long. And this is where John was. And, and most people, obviously the people that inhabited the island were being punished. And a lot of those uh, prisoners stayed in caves. That's where they would sleep. So that's kind of the context. 
says John to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Again, we know we're living in the last days. However, we know those last days have lasted 2,000 years. But we are living in the last days. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before His throne. It's a quote from Isaiah. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood. Let me read that again. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood. Every time I read that, I think about what Jesus said in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And He made us a kingdom priest to His God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him. Obviously, that's His second coming. okay? Because the rapture described in several verses, the whole world doesn't see Him. Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, the Jews. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. Even so, Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. Most of you know that, but that's the first and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. Alpha, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother, and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos. And why was he there? On account of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He was there because he kept preaching Christ crucified, resurrected from the dead, and the only means of eternal salvation. That's why John was banished to the island of Patmos. Although I also find it interesting, just a little uh, fun fact to learn and enjoy, that in his gospel, 
John only refers to himself. He doesn't use the proper name, John. He refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. But here he mentions his name several times. And I think one of the reasons why, I think John is amazed that that God in His sovereign plan has chosen him to deliver the revelation of the history of the world as he's being punished by the Roman Empire, banished to an island. I think he's quite astonished that God has chosen... By the way, and there's a good chance that John is in his mid to late 90s when this happens. So I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus... That word patient endurance is a wonderful word in the original language. Uh, we used to sing a song when I was in youth. You learned it in youth, but it, the word is hupomeno. You don't care what the word is, but it talks about keeping. The song, the little chorus would say, keep on keeping on. That's a good definition of this word. Translated here, patient endurance, but keep on keeping on. And of course, at 96 years of age or thereabout, uh, John certainly had been faithful. He had shown patient endurance. Says the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. He was on the island of Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. It's sad. Um, Many Christians today really can't read that verse and tell me they believe it. Because it's no longer His day. Our culture has accepted the fact that you can be a part-time church member and still be obedient to Jesus because everybody else does the same thing. I want to remind you, this is not the message today, That truth has never changed. This is the Lord's day. You can read the book of Acts. And all through the book of Acts, believers gathered on the Lord's day. It was on a Sunday as as we know it that the Lord was resurrected from the dead. And that's when the early church wanted to celebrate. Worship was the day that He was resurrected, which was a Sunday, the Lord's day, the first day of the week. And that's still true. It is His day. He owns the day. I can remember years ago when I was serving another church, and that was years ago because I've been here 24 and a half years. And back back in the day at this church, we were a growing church, and we started talking about doing two services on Sunday morning. I'm not talking about here. I'm talking about another church. And we were talking about doing two morning services Moses, I'm sure you've served churches that had more than one. But the whole premise, the whole motivation, straight from the lips of people in the meeting was, if we have an early service, I can have the rest of the day to do what I want to do. Now, you may not say that out loud. We all might know better than to say that out loud. But deep in our hearts... In the same circumstances, we might be thinking the same thing. 
as if the day is ours and not His. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. So on this Sunday, at this point in time in history, obviously John in his own way was in the Spirit of worship. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Now if in fact he is in a cave, as we assume, something like a trumpet blast in a cave would be quite shocking. But like a trumpet blast, it wasn't a trumpet, but like a trumpet, saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. And this is, you know, if you read Revelation 2 and 3, this is the messages to the seven churches. But And send it to the seven churches to Ephesus, and you, if you have a map in your Bible, you can flip over there in a minute or later on and see where these churches right off the coast, and it starts Ephesus, and then it goes up uh, north and loops back around and kind of goes west, uh, east and then south. But anyway, it's, they say, of course, I don't know this, but this is what they say. It's the postal route, the Roman postal route for that time. Is how the, the mail would be delivered in, in that system, that cycle in one to the other. To Ephesus, to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. By the way, if we had time, we could read those seven churches, those seven letters in chapter 2 and 3, and you'd find that of the seven churches, five were condemned. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, straight out of the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest, found in Exodus 28, the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. Uh, His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. His voice was like a roar of many waters. Um, Somebody mentioned in my family the other day about Nakalula Falls, uh, about some Christmas thing at Nakalula Falls. But if you've ever been to Nakalula Falls... More than likely, you'd be there rather than, I could say, Niagara Falls. But Nakalula is a little bit closer. So, if you've been to Nakalula Falls and you've ever walked down, you can walk down pretty close. Y'all been there? Shake your head. Y'all been there? The roar of the water is... And then that's nothing like Niagara, but the roar. And that's the thought that came in my mind. You know, the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars... From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And by the way, before I keep reading, who is this? Jesus. When I saw him, John says, I fell at his feet as though dead. So the sight of the glory of Christ in his magnificent appearance John passed out. 
And he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and hell. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those things, those that are, let me start over, write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, now he's going to tell us, I should have read this earlier. The seven stars are the angels, that's the word messengers. Possible they were the pastors, but the messengers, the word angel, angelos means messenger. So we're not talking about heavenly angels, we're talking about messengers. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. I always think about Ephesians 3.21. To Him be glory in the church forevermore. Amen. Well, we obviously know that Christ right now, as the ascended one, at the right hand of the Father, what is Christ doing Well, if you go back to verse 12, 10, 11, 12, 13, Jesus is alive, and as we're looking at the picture in Revelation chapter 1, He's standing, if you don't mind me using our southern, He is standing slap dab in the middle of the work of the church. He is in the middle of what the church, He owns the church. This is His church. And the description of Christ's glory and His power, His purity, all the attributes that are mentioned here, Christ is that right now to us. It's His church. So when we gather, we gather in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is discerning everything that we say and do, and determining the blessings that He's going to pour out among us. Now, For the sake of time, there's three or four things I want you to notice in Revelation chapter 1. By the way, before I do that, look look at your verse 19. Are you looking at your Bibles? Look at verse 19. By the way, do you know how much John had to write? Now, he's going to write not just this chapter and chapter 2 and 3. He's going to write chapter 1, 2, and 3. Of course, they didn't have chapter divisions then. But he's going to write the entire book of Revelation and he's going to send it to seven different places, right? And then more than likely, like when he sent it to Ephesus, they would get the whole package, so they would get all of it from Revelation 1-1 to the end. And then attached to that would be the separate letter to the Ephesians, right? To the church at Ephesus. Then he did that six other times. So there was a lot of writing going in what John did to send. But look at verse 19. Write, therefore, the things that you love. Don't you love God's Word? Write. Grapho. Grapho. Graphics. Write. 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 It's all about the Word, the written Word. 
Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. Okay, now, with your, with your, that's chapter, that's chapter 2, verse 19. I've got to move my paper clip. Go to chapter 4. Go to chapter 4. Okay, look at verse 1. Now let me read this again, and we'll go back to chapter 1. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. Okay, so when is after this? After this is the church age, right? Because that's going to be chapter 2 and 3, right? I'm in chapter 4, verse 1, and guess what the first word is? Talte in the Greek. After this. So, everything from chapter 4, verse 1, though it's the revelation, in the messages for the church, you will notice when you read Revelation, the church is no longer present. The church doesn't show up till the end of the book at the marriage supper of the Lamb in chapter 19. So, the judgments described in Revelation chapter 4, Four, really, it doesn't start till chapter 6. But it's not for the church age because that's going to take place after the church age. And also, if just while we're here, look what it, look what it says in chapter 4, verse 1. It says, After this, I looked up and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice that I heard speaking with me said, What? Come up here. So the church, the church, John representing the church age, is looking at the rest of history after the church age from heaven. Just an interesting thing, but we move on. I want you to notice I'm back in Revelation chapter 1. Christ is in the middle of His church. But I want you to notice that Christ has, and I'm going to be brief, He has an imperishable plan. That because of Christ's work, His plan, it's imperishable. It's unchanging, undefiled. It's an eternal plan. And I want you to notice that because it's verse 5. Christ has an imperishable plan, an imperishable plan for me and you and for the church. Folks, this is why we do what we do. This is why we love the Lord Jesus. This is why we want to serve the Lord Jesus. He says in verse 5, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, Folks, he, he, what he earned, he's the faith. Are you the faithful witness? Listen, are, are you? Can I trust you to get me there? Are you the example I need to follow? Am I the example you need to follow? No, sir. Who's the faithful witness? You can answer that. Who is it? Christ. It's Christ Jesus. He's the faithful witness. Folks, everything that I'm going to get in the future, on the other side, is because He earned it. Right? He earned it. I, I'm going to inherit what Christ has earned. He is the faithful witness. And thank the Lord that in salvation I get His history. Folks, that makes this an imperishable plan. Now, there are those that think they're believers... And they never bear any fruit whatsoever of being in Christ or Christ being in them. But I'm talking to those that really are born again and really do pursue Christ, but like me, they're not perfect. 
and they stumble and fall and fail. Your eternal destiny has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with a faithful witness, right? Right? That's why we love Him. And that's why we will sing and bow down to Him and worship because He is worthy. He is the only faithful witness. He's the firstborn of the dead. So now we don't have to worry about death. He's conquered death in the grave. The firstborn from the dead. And there's a play in words here. But he's the, the he's a preeminent one. He's the first one. He's the first place one. So everybody that knows him and has been born again through him that same thing will happen to them. That's, that's the implications of the firstborn from the dead. So, as the firstborn, it's like a firstfruits. The Bible calls him the firstfruits from the dead. Well, you know. So, if he's the firstfruits, the preeminent one, the first one, the prototokos, the, the preeminent first place one, then everybody else that's in him is going to have the same thing happen to them. Folks, it's an, it's an imperishable plan. Our salvation is based on Him and His holy life. Our resurrection is based on the empty tomb. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. He's sovereign over the kings of the earth. It goes all the way back to the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers where God explains the fall of man and the corruption of the nations. Christ still rules the nations. To Him who loves us and has, look what it says, freed us. Freed us. There's been a redemption. Freed us from our sins by His blood. Folks, I could quit preaching after reading that verse. I'm not, but I could. Freed us from our sins by His blood atonement. A ransom was paid. Folks, you, you know, when you and I, whenever it was, I was 16. I don't know how old you were, but when, when I came to faith in Christ or when Christ saved me from my sin. I, that's one specific thing I, I believe you have to understand. That his, his life was substitutionary death for you. There was a bloodletting. He was the lamb without blemish that paid the price to buy you out of slavery, the slavery of sin. So number one, when we think about the church and, and our salvation, I want you to know that this plan for the church is an imperishable plan. I bet you could say, we win. I mean, we win because Christ has won. But not only is it an imperishable plan, I just want to look at a couple things about the church. I've got a couple of minutes. Look at verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And we know from reading verse 20, the seven golden lampstands are the seven churches. 
Now again, they're on a lamp stand, so it's, it's, it's oil and a lamp put on a stand. Okay? Lamp stand, just like the church. We're a light set on a hill, right? You don't hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. A little song. So, we're, so you see, so it, we, this the churches, and he's, there's seven, and he's going to write a letter, a message to all seven churches. And you can read it. Go home. He knows intimately what's going on in the church. He knows intimately what's going on in this church. He knows me. He knows you. He knows the hypocrites. He knows the liars. He knows those living in sin. He knows those who are called and are denying their spiritual... He knows everything about the church. But I want you to notice it says, verse 13, so it's an imperishable plan, but number two, there's an indwelling presence. Look, look at what he says. In the midst of the lampstands. Looking at your Bibles. In the midst of the lampstands. One like a son of man. We know it's Christ. Jesus indwells me. We know that in salvation, the Spirit dwells me. But Jesus, Jesus' presence is in the church. The indwelling presence of Christ. So where is Christ right now? Yes, He's at the right hand of the Father. Yes, one day He's going to come back. But right now, Christ is in the midst of His church. By the way, when I say church, I'm not referring to every building out there that says church. Obviously, this is the true church. Every true church that's obeying Scripture as being a church, that preach God's Word, that believes in the infallibility of Scripture, that, do, that obeys the, the two ordinances, a, a real biblical church, a true church. But Jesus stands in the midst. Well, we don't have time but for one or two more. Look what, so, so, there's an imperishable plan. There's an indwelling presence. Okay? But then there's also an interceding power. So one of, besides seeing us and being right in the midst, his eyes are a flame of fire. His hair's white. Speaking like an elder, he knows it all. He's wise. But it says here, you're looking at your Bibles. We'll finish with this one. Okay? It says, In the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. Now, long robes, you could read this in Exodus 28. Uh, kings wore long robes. It's, it's described in the book of Exodus. Uh, prophets wear, wore long robes. And Jesus is. We believe this, that, that He is the true prophet. He's the true king. But what, what is another Old Testament uh, role, an Old Testament person that wore a long robe? But it says He had a golden sash. Are you looking at your Bible? A golden sash around his chest. There was only one who wore a long robe with a golden sash across his chest. It was the high priest. So the third thing about Christ, yes, he's handed us an imperishable plan that he secured. Yes, 
He has an indwelling presence. Yes, it's true. He's with us. But number three, He intercedes with great power. He is our great high priest. And the Bible says that He ever lives to make intercession for us. Folks, you can read the whole book of Hebrews, and the whole book of Hebrews is that Christ is greater than all. He's the greatest prophet. He's the greatest king. He's better than angels. But the most emphatic statements made in the book of Hebrews is about His role as our great high priest. And He lives to make intercession for us. And you know why He has to do that? Because His eyes are a flame of fire and He sees straight through us. And do you know what He sees? He sees a bunch of redeemed sinners. So when the devil accuses me before the throne, you know what? The devil's right. I am a liar. I am a sinner. I am not worthy. Neither are you. But guess who stands in heaven robed with a white robe with a golden sash? Christ Jesus. And guess what Christ is doing? He ever lives to make intercession for saved sinners like me and you. It's an imperishable plan, right? God has an eternal, imperishable plan. And the beauty of it is, is Christ is living to intercede for sinners like me and you. But here's a problem. I know for a fact, even in a crowd like this on a Sunday morning, somebody's here that's not saved. You're religious. You got some good answers and you can answer a lot of Bible questions and you're a good person compared to other people. But your sins have never been cleansed. You've never repented. You've never trusted Christ in His atoning work. You've never repented. You've never believed. You've never surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. And you know what the Bible says? You will pay for your sins. You will pay for them. But you have the opportunity to surrender your will to the Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and our hearts are open unto the Lord. And in just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a, a, a hymn of invitation. But let me say this first. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and our hearts are open unto the Lord. It, it is an intimidating truth to to realize that, that Christ knows absolutely everything. The writer of Hebrew even says it this way. He says, we are naked and exposed before Him in all that we do. Folks, there's absolutely nothing we can hide. And folks, if that's true about every believer that's in this room, What's going to happen to those that don't know Jesus? If judgment begins at the house of God, what about those who do not believe? 
Well, the Bible says a fiery judgment awaits the unsaved. Folks, if you're here today and, and you've never been born again, I, I mean, I could tell you story after story, but it's just the truth. You're lost. You need to be saved. And you can be saved because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So I'm going to ask you to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be a pretender. Don't listen to the devil. Don't be worried about what people are going to think. Care about knowing Christ and being saved from sin. That's what matters. So I'm praying that this morning you might have the guts, so to speak, to step out and come and say to me, Brother Bryce, I need to be saved. I need to be born again. And I'll, I'll be honored to sit down and walk through the plan of salvation with you. But folks, the other part is for me and you as believers, the fact is Christ is in His church. He is aware of everything. He, he deserves our loyalty. He, des- he deserves obedience. And maybe today is a Christian decision for you. No, you are saved. But maybe today is about rededication. Maybe it's about church membership. But when we stand and sing, if you need to make a fresh commitment to the Lordship of Christ, I'm going to invite you to do that. Lord, we pray simply that you would move among us now. Have your will in us. We pray in Christ's name. We stand and we sing. What are we singing, Moses? Moses, what are we singing? Change my heart, heart, oh God. We know it well. You know it. Let's sing it. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God. Wow. May I be like you. May I be like you. You are the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me. This is what I pray. Think about what you're singing. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God. May I be like you. Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we've been pretenders. We've been half-hearted. Lord, we've been apathetic for far, far too long. So as the head of the church, as the cornerstone of the building as the shepherd over the sheep 
Lord, with everything within us, we, we just want to fall before you and, and say Jesus is Lord. Lord, we're going to not just say it. We're going to live it. Father, thank you for salvation in Christ. Lord, thank you that you're the great high priest interceding for all the wicked things that saved sinners do. Now, Father, as we leave this place, uh, may we be mindful of the light that is within us, the fact that we're the salt in a decaying world. Father, help us to be gospel-centered in how we live and what we say. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a good afternoon.